Welcome to the Vineyard Church Message of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information on this podcast or other resources, go to vineyardlive.us. To learn more about us, go to thevineyardchurch.us. service is always such a happy service. You guys are fantastic. I don't know if it's because we have the youth in here. I know we're missing college kids. They're home now, but (laughs) oh, I hope our church always has lots of young people. Yeah. And old people too, of course, but yeah. Well, it is good to be together. We're finishing this message series, Wrecked for God, The Surprising Secret to True Transformation, where We have learned that that secret is Christ living in us. So no matter what we encounter, no matter what we're going through, no matter what, he never leaves us and he always loves us. And that's going to be a really important thing to remember today because we're going to actually talk about the discipline of the father and the correction of the father. And you know, that can be a little frightening and you need to remember how much he loves you. Okay, so as we tackle kind of a tough topic, uh, I'm going to invite the Holy Spirit to be our teacher on this awesome Pentecost Sunday. It's actually Pentecost Sunday. We're trusting the Holy Spirit to be here powerfully doing what we can't do, transform us into those naturally supernatural disciples. So come, Holy Spirit. You are so faithful, so faithful to open the word to us, so faithful to bring transformation so faithful to show us Jesus and all he has done and the love that the Father has, even in tough topics like his correction. Will you help us here today? But more importantly, help us obey. I'm trusting you to speak to each person individually. Lord, I don't know what the dead branches are in their lives that you're wanting to saw off. I, I, I don't know, but I can trust you and I know your love never fails. So come, we welcome you here in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Are you familiar with the phrase failure to launch? Some of you may be. It's actually the title of a sort of funny movie. It's rerun all the time on network TV. <laughs> Stars Matthew McConaughey. Uh, but it's about a 35-year-old guy named Tripp, and he has failed to launch. In other words, he still lives with his parents. You know, his mom's still cooking, cleaning, doing his laundry. He's playing video games or whatever. But it's funny. But the whole topic of failure to launch It's actually now a recognized syndrome. It's called FTL because it's so prevalent in our culture. Now, I know in other cultures around the world, often uh, children stay with their parents until they're about 30 years old. But in our nation, generally, by the time you go to college and then you get a job, you're launched. But it can be for economic reasons. You know, it can be you have college loans, you can't find a job. I know there's legitimate reasons, but even sadly, they're discovering there's a lot of mental health issues even. So it's a sobering topic when young adults fail to launch. Most 
loving parents, we want our children to launch. You know, we want you to go out into the world and grow up and be a healthy adult. And in the same way, our Heavenly Father desires for us, out of his love for us, to grow up. Now, that doesn't mean we leave him. It just means our relationship with him changes. As we like to say in our family, our relationship with our adult children now is a very warm, vibrant friendship um, most of the time. But, I mean, that's how the Father longs for us to, you know, be mature, to grow, to be sons and daughters who, you know, are no longer babies. And we know it doesn't happen, you know, instantaneously overnight, just like it doesn't happen in human life. You know, a baby doesn't start to walk and talk and feed itself right out of the womb. It takes time. Okay, so this isn't, you know, unusual, but one of the most important things that the Father uh, does for us as we're growing into maturity, into fully transformed uh, children of God, he has to correct us, okay? As any good father, he brings discipline. He brings training. And, you know, we don't always know how to cooperate with the correction of the father. Because, you see, sometimes, and this has been a problem in my own life, I perceived his correction as rejection. You know, that he was disappointed in me. No, that's why it's so important to be assured of his love for us, okay? Because... When we fail to launch or to be transformed, he's going to bring correction. And you need to know that correction, it's not punitive, okay? It is productive and it is corrective. So it's really, really important. Now, this is based on the final chapter in my book, and that chapter is called Bonfire or Hellfire. Now, not going to talk about hellfire today. I mean, maybe I should. <laughs> I don't know. Um, that's a controversial, dare I say, hot topic. It is. There's a lot of discussion right now about the reality of hell. I'm not going to talk about that today. I am, though, like I said, going to talk about the bonfires in our life. And that's actually referring to, like, if you read, uh, John 15, chapter 15 in John, it talks about the father sawing off dead branches and throwing them in the fire. In other words, he's pruning us. He's getting rid of those things in our life, bad choices, bad activities, bad attitudes, things that are hindering our fruitfulness. And so we want to actually welcome that, right? He's an awesome vine dresser. Now at the center of our talk today is it's going to be based out of Hebrews 12. All of Hebrews 12 is about the discipline of the father, but it ends with kind of a frightening verse. And this is Hebrews 12, 29, for our God is a consuming fire. Hmm. I don't know about that. <laughs> you know? Like that can sound almost abusive, right? I, I was a special education teacher once, and I had a child come to my classroom with cigarette burns all over his arm. Well, he'd been abused by an angry parent. So our God is a consuming fire can sound harmful or abusive. And for some of us, this includes me, but I know I'm a lot older than many of you, I was raised in a faith that said, behave or burn. 
okay? I lived with the fear of hellfire. I, as a matter of fact, the faith in which I was raised, we were told you never know until you die and face Jesus if you're going to the flames or you're going to the Father. That's not true. <laughs> it kind of negates what Jesus did. It makes it dependent on us rather than faith in him. But uh, we'll talk about that later. I was afraid of the fire. And I'll be the first to tell you, fire is used in the scripture as a metaphor for the judgment of God. So that's true. Okay, that's true. And people can have a fear of hellfire, so to see, say, speak, or of the Father's fire. But this is really important. I had wrong beliefs about the Father, his nature, his character, okay? I, I, I was messed up that way. And a lot of us, I know, whether it was because you had a father who was abusive, that messes with you big time. My father was strict. He was stern. He didn't hesitate to punish, but he wasn't abusive. This is what we need to know. Julie addressed this last week about our father. We have a good, good father. He's not abusive. He doesn't cause cancer. He didn't send COVID. He didn't cause a tragic accident. He didn't unleash the violence in our community where guns are killing people almost every day. That's not from the Father. We have an enemy. He's been defeated. He's not departed. There is a cosmic conflict. It's complex. I don't understand it. I don't need to. I need to trust in the goodness of the Father. Okay, so we have a good, good Father. And... His, he comes to bring correction, to bring to our lives the transformation that we're longing for. And you know what? You can be assured the Jesus within you will help you cooperate with that correction. That's the good news. This isn't some kind of willpower, you know, thing. We make choices, but Jesus in us, you know, he learned obedience through what he suffered. He understands how to navigate all of this stuff. He was also tempted in every way without sin. He understands, and he's more than ready. No, Jesus, the scripture tells us, he gives us a very accurate picture of the Father. He is the image of the invisible God, Colossians tells us. And we've been immersed in Colossians 2 for the last seven weeks. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, when you get that, that when you see Jesus, you see the Father, then you can go all the way back to Genesis, and you, all of a sudden, you, you're not, like, you don't get sidetracked with, with all the confusing things about God. All of a sudden, the scriptures leap out at you, oh, like Psalm 103, our God is gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, rich in love. And you are assured that's who our Father is. Now, today I want to focus on the fire of his love. See, again, while fire is a metaphor for judgment, more, I mean, probably 10 times more in the scripture, fire is a metaphor for the fiery presence, unfailing love of the Father. And that is the consuming fire I want to talk about today. The consuming fire of God is not to consume you. The consuming fire of God is to consume everything in us that hinders our full transformation. 
The consuming fire, love, passion of God is coming after every idol in our life, everything that we love more than him. And we all have it. But it's a fire of love. Okay, it's not a fire of judgment. It's a fire of love. And we can choose to submit to it or not. Now, it's not consuming us. It's consuming those things that harm us. Now, I know that can seem counterintuitive. Let me give you just an example from uh, nature. So my husband and I often drive to Iowa, uh, visit a son and four grandchildren, daughter-in-law over there. And you drive past a lot of farm fields, both in Illinois and in Iowa. And I think it was last spring when we were driving, on both sides of the road, there were huge fires. They looked extremely menacing and frightening. And of course, over 70 years of Smokey the Bear have told us fires are dangerous, right? But that's not always true. As a matter of fact, fires are an extremely important tool in land management. Any of you who farm or understand farming, you know at the end of a growing season and harvest, there's a lot of dead matter, and that inhibits the fresh crop from coming up healthfully. And so these fires, they're called controlled fires, prescriptive fires, or prescribed burns. They burn up all that dead matter, return nutrients to the soil. Bingo, you've got incredible soil to produce some of the you know, uh, most amazing crops in the world here in the Midwest. Now, in addition, those fires not only burn up dead matter, they perform an important function with seeds who often have a very hard outer uh, covering. And it breaks that out so that the seed now is free to fully germinate, send forth the roots and produce the fruit. What I love about this illustration, it's called a controlled fire, a prescribed burn. And that's exactly what the father is doing in our lives. It's not going to get out of control. Yeah, out of your control, out of my control, (laughs) but... It's going to be a controlled burn, and more importantly, it's a prescribed burn. Do you know the Father knows exactly what needs to go in your life? He knows exactly what's hindering you from being that fully developed, transformed, naturally supernatural disciple. He knows. And we can trust the Father's fire. We really can. So I love that illustration because it's such a beautiful picture of the Father's fire in our lives. Okay, I'm going to go to Hebrews 12, using the Passion Translation, which I've for a long time used devotionally. I've been loving it to study because the footnotes are so good. I want to encourage you. Uh, it, will, it will enrich you. And so this is Hebrews 12. We can't go through all 29 verses today, so I'll have to summarize some of it. But I do want to give you context. Because remember, it's very important that... All scripture is taken in context. (laughs) That's important. So Hebrews 12 follows Hebrews 11. And what you need to know about Hebrews 11, that's all this hall of faith. It's all about faith. It's all about trusting God. And it's all about these men and women who performed incredible feats of faith, who walked through literal fires, who suffered, but who never enjoyed the glory of the cross and all the effects of the Holy Spirit being poured out to live inside of us. So guess what? Hebrews 12 tells us, it begins with, they're all watching us. They're all watching. 
What, what is it like to live in a world when you have Christ living in you? What is it like to live with the power of the Holy Spirit? What is it like? Because the world itself hasn't changed. It's just as violent, as evil, as sick as ever. Okay? We know the enemy's defeated, not departed, still going about as a roaring lion. Okay? But they're watching. And so now the writer to the Hebrews says, okay, in light of the fact all these people are watching you, people who continue to believe God through all kinds of suffering, all kinds of defeat, all kinds of questions, they continue to believe God is good. God loves us. Now they're watching us. So how should we act? Well, this is what he has to say. And the entire chapter has to do with the discipline of the Father. Remember, correction is not rejection. It's actually for our perfection. Perfection in the purpose he has ordained for us and a reflection of his righteousness. So, let's read. Hebrews 12, 1. So, in light of all this, we must let go of every wound that has pierced us and the sin we so easily fall into. Then we will be able to run life's marathon race with passion and determination. The race personally appointed us. And again, this is the passion translation. Okay. So in light of the fact we have all these people watching us, he said, okay, I need to tell you some really important instructions. You need to let go of every wound that has so easily pierced you and every sin that we so easily fall into. Now, all of us are wounded. We all get wounded all the time. And the number one wound that Hebrews 12 will go on to talk about is the wound of bitterness. Do you know you have an opportunity every day to be bitter or better? That's true. And we do every day in all of our relationships, circumstances. You can be bitter at God. You can be bitter at other people. I want you to know Hebrews will warn us, don't let that root of bitterness take root because it will bear terrible fruit. Okay. So he says, let go of that wound. Just let go of it. And let go of the sin. Just stop it, he's saying. Stop doing the things that are so harmful. Okay. Stop it. And let's do what? Let's run the race, life's marathon race with passion and determination. The race personally appointed us. Wow, God knows our destiny. He knows our purpose. We can stop doing those things that harm us. Do you want to know the number one sin that Hebrews is addressing? No, it's not sexual immorality, although that's a problem, and it's a big problem in our culture. No, it's not drunkenness. No, it's not greed. No. The number one sin that Hebrews is addressing is unbelief in the goodness and promises of God. You see, all those other things distract us. They try to destroy our faith in God, because if the enemy can get our faith in God, we have nothing. We doubt. We worry. We're afraid. And now all the other things are real. But I'm just saying the number one thing is faith. Because all these people from the hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11, they're trying to watch and see, wow, how do you guys keep believing now that Jesus lives in you? 
He is the author and finisher of our faith. Hebrews 12 goes on to say, we can trust the Christ in us and the Christ in the community around us, which is why we need community. As a matter of fact, and again, I'm just going to summarize these next few verses. The writer tells us, so consider Jesus and the cross. He said, look, when, when you're struggling, when, when the wounds are there and the sins are tempting, you, you got to consider the cross. You got to consider the one who endured everything for you, conquered sin, defeated death, defeated the enemy, overcame suffering, overcame shame. Consider Jesus. Why? Because now he lives in you and he's empowering you to do the very same thing. So it's so important we consider Jesus, consider Christ and the cross. Okay, now this is really important. When we start talking about the Father's correction and the Father's discipline, you need to know there's no contradiction between the success of the cross, the cross that made you holy, righteous, blameless, the cross that removed all your sins, past, present, and future, the cross that empowers you to be filled with the Holy Spirit. There's no contradiction between the success of the cross and the loving, fiery correction of the Father. No contradiction. And if there's one area that the enemy likes to highlight, he, this is where he goes off. Okay, let me just explain a couple of these. In, in the past couple of weeks, I've even heard, you know, we talk a lot here about the unconditional love of God. Well, love, love, God's love is unconditional. And pretty soon you're writing a script for all the things you can do because God's going to love me anyway, right? No, I want you to know God's love might be unconditional. His correction, though, is always right there. In other words, love is unconditional, yes, but that love is also correctional. Please don't harden your heart. Please don't harden your heart. Please don't let your conscience be seared that you're not listening to the Holy Spirit as he pricks you, as he shows you areas that the Father wants to burn up. Why? Because his love wants to consume those areas, okay? So sometimes people go off on, well, his love is unconditional. And kind of in the same, same vein, you know, we, we talk a lot here about grace, that, you know, the grace of God just overcomes all sin, you know, the more, uh, you know, there's just grace, grace, grace. And people are like, oh, well, God's so gracious. You know, all my sins are forgiven. I guess I can just sin as much as I want. <laughs> I mean, you don't say it out loud, but that's how you live your lives. It's like, no, 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 there's no contradiction between the success of the cross and the fact that our sins are forgiven and we're made new and his love is unconditional. That love is fiery. That love wants to consume everything that vies for our affection for him. So there's a lot. We all need that correction. Okay, let me go on. I'm going to pick back up. Verse 5. Now the writer to the Hebrews says, Have you forgotten his, meaning God's, encouraging words spoken to you as his children? He said, my child, don't underestimate the value of discipline and training of the Lord God or get depressed when he has to correct you. Whoa, we often forget <laughs> because correction isn't fun and it can be depressing. And I, so don't say you haven't been warned, okay? When depression hits me, and it does, it hits me like it hits all of you. 
When discouragement comes, it comes. We have an opportunity to be discouraged all the time. I stop and say, okay, Holy Spirit, what's going on? What is it in me that is hindering my trust in God? What is it in me that's more important right now? Oh, oh, that's right. I want my timing. Oh, my way. Oh, my control. But it could also be a very specific sin. And I outlined some of these in that chapter. You know, it could be the gossip I'm engaging in. You know, it could be the competitiveness. It, it, it could be the jealousy. Just depression and discouragement, and I don't mean, you know, uh, clinical depression. I'm just talking about being down and discouraged. Is often a symptom that somehow we're letting, we have an idol. We don't think of ourselves as worshiping it, but we are. Why? Because we're trusting ourselves more than we're trusting God and his goodness and his love for us. Let me go on. Verse 6. For the Lord's training of your life is evidence of what? Say it with me. His faithful love. And when he draws you to himself, it proves you are his delightful child. His faithful love, folks, is a fiery love. It's a fiery love. He draws us to himself. It's not rejection. You know, it proves we are actually a delightful child. Uh, this was a huge lesson for me. Again, probably because of my uh, family of origin. Um, I, I never knew if my father was pleased with me or not. And some of that was his own personality. But I transferred that to God. I always sensed I was a disappointment to God. And do you know, I, I read a study that just fascinated me. They asked hundreds of people, what is the one th word that would describe how you, your, your relationship with the father? And almost everybody said, I just think he's disappointed. You know, I'm just a disappointment to him. You know, I haven't done, you know, been who he's wanted me to be. And I want you to know if you feel like you're a disappointment today, you are not a disappointment to the Father. You are a delightful son or daughter. He is making sure to burn up anything in you that hinders your transformation. So you can be assured you're not a disappointment. You are a delightful son or daughter. So what should we do in light of that? Verse 7, fully embrace God's correction as part of your training. For he's doing what any loving father does for his children. For who has ever heard of a child who never had to be corrected? Well, nowadays you might hear one. I was just on an airplane with about 20 of them, but no. <laughs> you know, sometimes too, I like, in light of the fact that this Christian life, you know, it's not a sprint, it is a marathon. We're on, you know, we're on a path. And sometimes like our GPS has to tell us, you know, recalculate, recalculate. Why? We took a wrong turn. In the same way, the Holy Spirit says, recalculate, course correction. You know, it's not just correction. Don't think always in terms of like, you're being bad or you're doing something wrong. You just took a wrong turn. Why? He wants us to pursue this path with passion and determination to fulfill the destiny that he's already personally laid out for us. Verse 8. We all should welcome God's discipline as validation of authentic sonship. For if we have never once endured his correction, it only proves we are strangers and not sons. 
Welcome the correction of the Father. Submit to the correction of the Father. Well, how do we do that? Well, again, lots of uh, ways I share in the book. We only have time to talk about a few things today. But remember, be assured, number one, he loves, 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 loves you. And number two, he's come to live inside of you to instruct you and help you cooperate with his correction, okay? So you're not left to yourself to figure it all out. Just keep saying yes and, okay, help me, Holy Spirit. And I like to to say, okay, Lord, what am I loving or even trusting more than you? And love and trust sometimes are very, very interconnected. You know, what, what are the idols in my life? Am I trusting in my money more than in your provision? You know, am I trusting in the praise of people more than just the quiet confidence, Lord, that you're for me and, and I, don't, I don't need to have all of that? I mean, it can be other bad activities, you know, too much drinking, too much eating, sinful choices. You, got, you know them all. But often, like I said, they're a symptom of something deeper going on in our lives. You know, that we, the stress, the anxiety, the fear, the anger, it's often a symptom of something much, much deeper. Like, I want control, or I don't trust God, or I don't understand, or, you know, and that's where the Holy Spirit is so powerful in pointing out All of us are unique. All of us are different. I have lots of personal stories there, but I see him down to one minute. I'm going to to summarize and say, (laughs) how do we welcome? How do we welcome the, the fire of God? How do we welcome the correction of God? We stop doing those things. He points out that the wounds that are wounding us, the sinful choices, and we start doing those things. It's it's twofold. You know, it's not all negative. It's also very positive. But often, uh, like in my own life, I have had an ongoing fear of failure. And when you have a fear of failure, you're very self-focused and you're not trusting God. You're not trusting him to supply everything that you need. I say, think about something in your life right now that bears bad fruit. You know, that's causing you anger or stress or anxiety. Could be relationships, your kids, work, your weight, a sinful habit. You need to yield to the Father's correction, okay? (laughs) It's okay. He's got this. He wants to burn it up. Uh What do you need to stop? Isn't it true that we respect our earthly fathers even though they corrected and disciplined us? Then we should demonstrate an even greater respect for God, our spiritual father, as we submit to his life-giving discipline. God corrects us throughout our lives for our own good, giving us an invitation to share his holiness. And now all discipline seems to be painful at the time, yet later it will produce a transformation of character, bringing a harvest of righteousness and peace to who? To those who yield to it. Wow. Did you catch that, though? All correction is painful. Okay, God's not giving you the cancer. God's not giving you the trouble with your kids. God's not creating the violence in this community. But we're walking through it, and we can trust him. We can trust him and our response to it. 
that we can bear the peaceable fruit of righteousness, which is awesome. For our God is a holy, devouring fire. You know, the fire of the Father is for our flourishing, not for our destruction. This is a heavy topic, so let me end with just kind of a fun story. Just to illustrate, you know, uh, the writer to the Hebrews references, we learn a lot, you know, from our earthly relationships between parents and children. So I'm going to tell you the story of uh, one of my sons. He's our oldest son, J.D., and his wife, Carrie. And they're not perfect parents like our perfect heavenly father. But uh, this is a story of the way that they corrected and disciplined and trained one of their five children. Her name is Kiki. And so here's a picture of Kiki. When she was a mere eight months old, she stood up, started walking, running, has never stopped being an athlete. And because J.D. and Carrie were both college athletes at Wheaton College, they, like, recognized it right away. Whoa, like, we got to get her into some activities. And they did. She especially loved soccer. She loved kicking the ball, running around the field. She loved it until she discovered there was Soccer Saturday. Now, Soccer Saturday meant you actually had to play a game. You had to go out in the field, and there was another team. And she's like... No way. I'm not doing that. They're like, yes, you're doing it. We're layman's. We don't quit. No, I'm not doing that. Of course, then they realized, oh, yeah, they had the same kind of response, not quite so violent, when she was enrolled in gymnastics, and they wanted her to be on a gymnastics team. But when it came to performing, she had incredible anxiety. She had performance anxiety. Okay, like good parents, though, they're like, no, we insist. You are getting out on that field. But do you know, this is where the example of the Heavenly Father is so powerful. It wasn't, get out on that field. I don't care what you're feeling. Get out there. No, instead, my oldest son walked out into the field with Kiki. He stood there. He whispered in her ear, you got this girl. Okay, dad's right here. Don't worry. Come on. You can do it. I mean, it's Park District Soccer, right? You can do this stuff. Okay, so, okay, so, so she plays and she realizes, oh, you see, the father, her father knew that performance anxiety is disrupting her destiny. It's disrupting who she is, the gifts that she's been given. So they encouraged her and they continued uh, all through school. She played club, club soccer and, and then just two years ago, she enters the 4,000 member Oak Park River Forest High School and as a freshman, she stuns everybody and makes the varsity squad. Now, that was not without a lot again of encouragement. You can do it. Parental help, support. Here she is just a couple of weeks ago now as a sophomore scoring goals for the Huskies. And so this is such an example of the way the father parents us through something he wants us to start and to continue to pursue our destiny. About a month ago, she was frustrated with her club team, and that's a big deal. And she had the opportunity to try out for a pretty prestigious club in the Chicago land area. And so J.D. and Carrie says, okay, this could be the next step. No, I'm not doing it. Again, you know, it takes time, you know, <laughs> yeah, for these things. And so uh, they like, no, come on, you got this girl. They prayed with her. They encouraged her. Okay, she tries out. Lo and behold, at 16 years of age, Kiki makes, it's not just the most prestigious club in Chicago, it's the most prestigious club in the nation. Now, I'm like, whoa, way to go, girl. 
Now, don't use this story like to make your kids play sports. That's not what this is about. It's about the way you, the Heavenly Father parents us through our resistance, our fears, our stress. He's right there empowering us. He's not going to leave us or forsake us. Why? Because he loves us. He loves us. He loves us. Yeah, so it's awesome. Yeah, you can clap for her. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You can trust the Christ in you. You can trust the Christ in the community. The, the cross was a smashing success. And it ensures you of his love and of his incredible correction that will bring transformation to all of our lives. Let's cooperate with him. Let's submit. Let's stop doing those things that harm us. Okay? Let's just yield those areas of idolatry over to the Father. Let's be willing to step out and risk and do those things where the fire of his love can just ignite us, you know, and empower us. So that concludes our read, uh, you know, ministering on the book. If you haven't read it, I encourage you, because I tell a lot more things with a lot more details, fill in all the holes, hopefully, but mostly the Holy Spirit will do that for you. And we want to invite you to come back tonight to Holy Spirit night. We're going to have bonfire where we're literally going to put in the fire those dead branches that the Father is identifying in our lives that he wants to consume. What? Not consume us. Consume the things that hinder our true transformation. So we're going to go into worship. I want you to stand and I want to read a prophetic word over you. This isn't from me. It's from Brian Simmons, the author of The Passion. Just settle yourself now into hearing the Father's heart for you as the worship team comes. This is what the Father says to each of you. My love is a fiery, sacred passion. It overshadows pain, disappointment, and even death itself. Invite me to seal your heart with this holy fire, for it will purify you, set you aflame with my love, so nothing else competes with your affection. Cry out until every part of you is consumed with only me. No part of you is off limits to my love. I know every place you hide. Every fiber of your being will respond when you allow me to burn up everything that hinders our relationship. When you invite me, I will ignite you with love so powerful and tangible. It will be like fire in your bones, purifying, empowering you, awakening your heart, and changing you forever. Rivers of pain and persecution will never extinguish this flame. Endless floods will be unable to quench this raging fire that burns within you. Everything will be consumed. It will stop at nothing as you yield everything to this furious fire until it won't even seem to you like a sacrifice anymore. Thanks for listening to the message today. To experience more powerful messages, go to vineyardlive.us or join our Vineyard Live Plus community to view conferences, trainings, and special teachings.